Good morning. Today we'll be reading about feeding the 5,000 at Luke chapter 9, verse, uh, chapter 9, verses 7 to 20. That's on page 841 of the Church Bible. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard, all about, heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. Others, that, that Elijah had appeared, and still others, that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so that they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to, the disciples, to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 baskets basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Once, when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Anne. Um, we've started a new series uh, a few weeks back called Meals with Jesus, and we're going through uh, a Gospel of Luke when Jesus eats with people. Um, and if you have your Bibles open, please do open it. Uh, if you have your Bibles, do open it to chapter 9, um, because we will go through here and there. I'm sure it'll help you as we go through it. But let's pray first that God will speak to us. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for your living word, and we pray that as we come to it, you will feed us uh, with your word, that you would help us to see uh, that you are, uh, that, 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 that we're living not by our, our bread uh, alone, but by every word that comes from you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're new to Hong Kong, I'm sure you will have heard, you will hear this story. It's the story of Emperor Ching Ling, Ching Long, um, uh, the, uh, uh, of how you say thank you when somebody fills up uh, the, the cup of tea. Uh, the story is that this emperor used to go out to mingle with his people to find out what goes on in his kingdom. 
right? And uh, he went in disguise, and uh, one, uh, one time he poured some tea uh, to one of the people, and they recon- he recognized this person. Uh, he recognized the emperor, but he didn't want to blow his cover. Because he was surrounded with many, or surrounded by many other people, and but he really desperately wanted to say thank you to the emperor. So he sort of made this gesture of bending his knee with two two fingers and tapped these two fingers on the table uh, to show how grateful he was. He was emperor in their midst, and they were, he was able to recognize him. I wonder how he did it. Because that's a big question in the Bible as well, because Jesus himself is God in our midst. He came down 2,000 years ago, and actually, uh, how how people came to recognize who Jesus is, is a big theme in all of the Gospels. And each of the Gospels tell a little different story, the story a little bit differently. In the Gospel of Mark, I don't know if you know this, but right before this confession of Peter, Jesus heals a person. He does this miracle, and it's a two-step miracle. Uh, and he opens this blind person's eyes, rubbing something, and he sees this, uh, the world people as logs. And then he does it again, and he sees uh, the, the world clearly. Clearly, what Jesus is saying, actually, you only see only partially. But after I die, in Gospel of Mark, people see who Jesus is clearly. And in Gospel of Matthew, it's God telling Peter. Jesus says God had revealed this to Peter, that, uh, that, that he was able to recognize who Jesus is. And in Luke, the gospel that we're going through, well, he tells, a stu- uh, he tells this story, the story of feeding of the 5,000, as a central story of how people came to recognize who Jesus is. So if you look at the, the gospel, uh, take, a ver- uh, take a look at verse 9. We hear Herod's thoughts as he asks, who is this? that I hear such things about. And that, that story is bookended by verse 18, right? After feeding the 5,000, Jesus asked the same question, who do the crowds say that I am? And Peter correctly answers in verse 20, 20 you are the Messiah. It's the first time in the Gospel of Luke that somebody uh, from Jesus' disciples, uh, some, a follower of Jesus, recognizes who Jesus is. The only other person who, uh, people who are able to recognize who Jesus is actually people who are possessed by demons. But what's the difference? What happened in between? Well, we know how from Gospel of Luke how central eating is to Jesus' ministry and Luke's depiction of Jesus. And in between these two questions of Jesus' identity is feeding of the 5,000. Well, we're told that there were, in verse 14, that there were 5,000 men, which meant that actually with women and children, it's probably 15 to 20,000 people. It's feeding of 15 to 20,000 people. And somehow they were able to recognize through that miracle that Jesus is the Messiah. Well, how? What was so special about this miracle. Uh, It wasn't just that this was just some miracle, right? Jesus has done this miracle. um, uh, Jesus has done miracles before. But take a look at the location. So once again, if you have your Bibles open, verse 12. See where they are. They are at, in NIV, it's at a remote location. It's literally the desert. The wilderness. 
the same word that describes where the Israelites spent 40 years in the desert, in the wilderness, and that's where they are, in the remote place. And so at the desert, they needed something to eat. Remember what God did in the desert for 40 years for the Israelites? God fed them. God said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you, Exodus 16:4. God poured out bread from heaven to them. And bread of heaven is what Jesus called himself. And this bread in John 6, in feeding of the 5,000. And just in case you've missed it, Luke makes it clear in verse 14 as well by showing how Jesus organized people in groups of 50. And that's reminiscent of Exodus chapter 18 where God organizes, Moses organizes uh, people in groups of 150, 150. This was a disorganized people, right? In the wilderness, and God organized them as his people. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's gathered people, everybody who was able to come, everybody who came to him, they were disorganized people, and God is now, Jesus is making them his people. He's organizing them, and he's saying, you are my people, and I will feed you. And later on, in verse 31, uh, in the transfiguration. We didn't read this story, but in ch same chapter, verse 31, as they gather together, Jesus talks about his departure. And that word is literally exodus. His exit, his exodus. And that's what they were supposed to see in the feeding of the 5,000, that Jesus is Yahweh God who came down to feed his people, po providing food for the people that he has gathered. And he whom uh, they are, he is rescuing. In Jesus, they were supposed to see God who provides for them. But actually, there are significant differences as well. If you read the story carefully, it's not just that Jesus is the like second Moses, Jesus feeding the 5,000 in the wilderness. It's not quite that because in the wilderness, remember, Israelites gathered food for each day, enough food for one day only. And that's slightly different from what Jesus did, right? Jesus provided much more. And that wasn't just a provision of daily bread. It was abundance of food. It was a feast. That's what Jesus is providing. It's a banquet that he's hosting. First, everyone is invited, verse 11. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed them, healed those who needed healing. He welcomed whoever was able to come. And uh, this is also different, right? It's not just the Israelites. It's whoever came to Jesus. Jesus now has the power to make them clean. Jesus has now uh, has, the, uh, has the power to make them his people no matter who they are. So everyone who came, he welcomed them. And not only that, uh, Jesus commanded his people to sit down in verse 14, and that is an unfortunate translation that I'm told um, by commentators because that's the same word for to recline. If you're here last week, it's what Jesus and his disciples did in Simon's house. They were reclining. That's how they, uh, that they ate. They were reclining. Jesus is asking them to take a, uh, take a posture of being a guest in a feast. And verse 17, look how people feel at the end of this banquet. They ate and they were all satisfied. Now, sometimes uh, in salt or in church events, um, 
We order food, but we don't order enough. <laughs> I don't order enough. Um, and so when I see this happening, I eat a little bit uh, so that everybody has something to eat, uh, right? Uh, but that's not what these people did. That's not what they did with five loaves and two fish. Everybody ate to their heart's content. They were filled and they were satisfied. This was like a Chinese banquet. <laughs> when you go, you know, well, I've been invited to some of you, and you order more food or you prepare more food, then you know that people are going to eat because that's a sign of hospitality. That's a sign of generosity to prepare more food than you need. Right? And that's what Jesus has done. And to prove it, and when they collected the leftovers, there were 12 baskets full of it. 12 baskets full of leftovers. Here's the thing, during this time, there was an expectation that the Messiah would come. And when the Messiah would come, that there would be a banquet for his people as a sign of God's joy and his prodigal grace and abundance. People looked to places like Isaiah chapter 25, 6 to 8. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich meals and the finest of wines. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all of the earth. The Lord has spoken. You see, it starts out with food, but this isn't just about food. This is about a coming kingdom. When the Messiah comes, not only will he provide food for his people, he will provide a whole world, a different world where the death will be swallowed up, where death, uh, hunger will be no more, where there's no more sickness. This meal signaled a new world coming because the Messiah has come, and that's what Peter recognized. You are the Messiah. So the Messiah has come. A look at also how Jesus invites his people to participate in coming of the kingdom. After being with the huge crowd all day, the disciples, it's a little bit like going to a conference, right? You go to a conference, you have a whole day of conference, and you do sort of, um, please, uh, there are many restaurants out there, <laughs> have your, make your own way to these restaurants and, and come back at this hour. Well, uh, the disciples have this idea, right? It's a long conference. All day, Jesus has been teaching and people have been gathering. And they're wondering, what are we going to do? Well, what are we going to do at the end of the day? And so he, they come to Jesus and they say, could we send them away? Could we send them away to the nearest town so they can get some food and lodging? But look at what Jesus says to them. In verse 13, you give them something to eat. I, you know, we're preparing this uh, uh, day away, trying to feed 120 people, 150 people. That's a, a logistic, logistical nightmare in and of itself. Trying to feed 15,000, 20,000 people. You give them something to eat. I wonder how they felt. Uh, and they were in a remote location, far away. They only have five loaves of, uh, and two fish between themselves. But earlier in the chapter, Jesus did something similar. Uh, once again, if you have Bibles open, it, if you look at the beginning of chapter 9, you see how Jesus sends out the 12 for his mission. 
to proclaim the kingdom of God, verse 2, and to heal the sick. And in verse 3, he instructs them not to take anything, including bread. Don't take any bread, he says. And the reason why he, was, he says that is because he, he goes, look, I'm sending you out. I will provide these things for you. And now they needed to provide bread not just for themselves, but for 15 to 20,000 people. You see, they're utterly unable to provide for themselves. If there was any mistake, any thought that they, could provi- they provided that bread for themselves before, they are put in a situation where they cannot provide the thing that they are asked to do. They have to look to God. They have to look to Jesus. They are unable, but God is utterly able to provide. And before Jesus went up to heaven, after the resurrection, he gave his disciples another impossible task, right? He says, uh, go and proclaim repentance and forgiveness to all nations. And you might wonder, how are they supposed to do this? They're just these 11 people, not even 12, right? 11 people and some people there. Uh, How are they supposed to go out to the nations? Well, Jesus asks, what do you have? What do you have? And will you respond in faith? Will you go? You give them something to eat. And the disciples obeyed. The 12 people are now about 2 billion people. Uh, when they went, they, 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 they collected 12 baskets full of leftovers. We participate in his work by offering up what we have in faith. I don't know how many of you actually hosted people, invited people for a meal last week. Maybe you did, and you felt like, ah, that was just another meal. Uh, it didn't feel special. It didn't, maybe it didn't go so well, and you just felt like it was an awkward meal, um, having a- awkward people in the church uh, with you. It certainly might not have felt like God creating God's new community, God sustaining and feeding them. But friends, that's what God does. That's what God is doing, and uh, that's what God does through those meals. As the church family offers up whatever gift that you have, and you remember Jesus as the host, and you remember that this is God's family that you have invited, God does provide that meal, and God does provide that family. God makes us into a family of God. That's the work that God is doing, and you can participate in that work by offering up yourselves, these meals. And when you do, you're getting a glimpse of what Jesus will do when he comes back. When he comes back and hosts a full messianic banquet, him as the host. And as you host uh, small meals for the church family, with Jesus as the host, that's the glimpse, that's the taste uh, that people can get. The foretaste of the future messianic Banquet. Let me quote a church father from the 4th century, uh, from Egypt, Cyril of Alexandria. He said, let no one say, say, I do not possess suitable means. What I can do is altogether trifling and insufficient for many. Receive strangers, my beloved. Overcome their reluctance, which wins no reward. The Savior will multiply the little you have many times beyond expectation. Although you give but little, you will receive much. For he that sows blessings shall also uh, reap blessings. Let no one say, 
I do not possess suitable means. What I can do altogether is trifling and ins- insufficient for many. Friends, that's not just about meals, is it? That's about all the work that we do for God, all the work uh, that we offer up to God. I wonder if that's what you have done. Right? Once again, we invite people, come over to your, uh, to your house, host meals, go out, invite them to, to a meal. Let's have this foretaste of this banquet. But not only that, offer up your lives. Offer up your work so that your work, you know, go home, go to your work, sit at the desk in the beginning of, a, beginning of the day and offer it up to God. God. Ask God, God, please help me to create something that contributes to your kingdom culture that is bringing that end time into this workplace. Ask God to do that for you. Offer up your work. Offer up your family. Offer up... Uh, 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 all that you do because whatever little talents that you offer up whatever the gifts that you offer up whatever money that you offer up whatever energy that you offer up for God God can use that to bring his kingdom down you know that sounds grandiose in many ways but I know that day to day it just it, feel, it will feel mundane Right? It's meeting people one-to-one, praying at your workplace, uh, serving colleagues and customers as God's servants, um, praying together, teaching our children, visiting people at the hospital, uh, starting gospel conversations in your workplaces or whatnot. All of that seems sometimes mundane and futile, but that is the way that God, uh, God will use to bring his kingdom here on earth. We're unable to change the world, but Jesus is, and he has changed it already. He is the Messiah. He's the one who will do these things. But he does say, come, what do you have? Will you go and feed in faith? And if anything that the story shows us is that actually as we offer up our lives to his work um, in all things that we do, God will provide for us, right? The 5,000 people were fed And this is a lesson that I'd love for you to learn. In the desert, once again, if you go back to the time of Exodus, in the desert, God fed the Israelites and Moses says that he did it in this way to teach you in Deuteronomy 8.3 that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. When they were wandering through the desert, they were given manna, enough food for one day. They couldn't store it. If they stored it, it went rotten. Uh, one day for 40 years, right? And that was to teach them that they do not live by what they have stored, how much money that they have in the bank account, how much food that they have stored up. They don't live by those things. They needed to depend on God for 40 years. Every day they needed to realize uh, that God was the provider, and we forget the lesson all the time, but it's the same lesson that we need to learn. We need to learn that Jesus is our provider. And we forget that because we have parking shop. We pray to God, but we go to parking shop for bread. Right? And we forget that because we have a bank account that gives us a sense of security. We think that actually we don't need to depend on God, that we don't need to go to God because we have these things. No, God provide God has provided for us God is the one who's sustaining us God is the one who's providing for us even today Jesus has done that for us everything that we have is his and he's 
providing for us. He loves you. He will take care of you. But what that messianic banquet shows is even beyond that. He doesn't just love you. He doesn't just have compassion on you and meet your needs, meets your needs, but he will provide a whole new world for you. In verse 11, once again, we saw Jesus welcoming everyone, speaking, and he then spoke to them about kingdom of God, and, and, and he healed um, them. And if you think about, so once again, they come, and Jesus speaks about God's kingdom, and he heals them. And uh, we think of healing as something that just meets uh, people's needs, but it's much more than that. If you think about what kind of miracles Jesus does, they're all signs that a future kingdom is coming. The new creation is coming. New heaven and new earth is coming. You see, his miracles aren't sort of pyrotechnical uh, Jesus flying around. I mean, he could have done that too, right? But that's not what he does. He heals. He feeds. He drives out demons. The reason why he does these things is because this is the most natural thing that God can do. What God is saying, what Jesus is saying, is that in his kingdom, it's most, in his kingdom, there will be no more sickness. In his kingdom, it's unnatural. Actually, it was unnatural. These things have inv- invaded our world. And Jesus' miracles show that these things are unnatural, that in his kingdom, these unnatural things will not be there. There will, no, there will be no more sickness. There will be no more death. There will be no more hunger. There will be no more injustice. This is uh, uh, words of theologian Jürgen Moltmann. He says, Jesus' healings are the only truly natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. Primarily, Jesus' miracles show how unnatural things have become, how demon hunger, sickness, and death have invaded our world. When God created our world, it wasn't like this. And Jesus shows that it will not be like this when he comes back and that is the world that the messiah will bring and that's the world that he will provide for us but the way that he does it actually is not through more healing it's not through more miracles he couldn't do that because how could he bring in a new world when actually people's hearts aren't changed when sin still reigns in our hearts? How can he do that when the world is filled with evil? How the world is filled with structures of evil? Evil things are in power. No, he will need to bring in a whole new world, new heaven and new earth. He will need to create a new people by the power of his spirit and bring us to the new creation. And so in this section about feeding of the 5,000, Here you will hear echoes of communion, foreshadowing of his death on the cross. Once again, take a look at chapter 9, verse 16. Taking the five loaves and the two fish, looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. He gave them to the disciples and distributed them. He took bread, gave thanks, he broke and gave it to his disciples. And these words are repeated again in chapter 22. In communion, when Jesus has the final supper, this is Luke chapter 22, verse 19. It's on page 856 in the church Bibles. He took bread, gave thanks, he broke it, and gave it to them, saying, 
this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And you'll see it curiously one more time in chapter 24. Remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Jesus opens up the Bible and he teaches them everything that has been written about him from the Old Testament. They still don't recognize him. You know what he does? He takes bread. He, breaks, he gave thanks. He broke it and gave it to them and their eyes are opened. Jesus provides this whole new kingdom through his death, through his resurrection. Point is, Jesus will provide much more than bread and fish for us, more than sustenance. He will provide much more. He will provide a whole new for us. But this at the cost of his body broken, impaled on the cross, his blood shed for us that we might become new creation, that we might become his people fit for his kingdom that is coming. Friends, I hope you'll know Jesus to be, Jesus to be your God and your Messiah. And if you don't know him this way, ask him. Ask him to come into your hearts and to, uh, to, uh, to reveal himself to you. Ask him to come and feed you. And I hope you'll respond by giving your life to him, all of your life, every bit of yourself. And I hope you'll remember, uh, you'll eat remembering him, that he's in our midst and live as messianic people here in Hong Kong. And I hope you'll always know that God is the one who's providing for you. He is the one who's generously providing for you. And not just today, but for the future, for the, uh, uh, the, the hope that we have in him, that he has provided a new heaven and a new earth. And I hope you'll remember the cost that he paid to bring us to the feast around his table. Let's pray. Lord, we give you great praise and thanks for your son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you that he has provided a feast for us. Not only is he sustaining us right now, Lord, that he will bring us to his kingdom, that we will taste, uh, we will partake in the messianic banquet that is coming. Lord, help us to be messianic people here in Hong Kong. Help us to bring that reality down in our fellowship, in our life together, in our work, in our family. Lord, help us to have others join us in the foretaste of that kingdom. But Lord, most of all, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. How he generously provided for us that we might partake in that fellowship. And may we offer up everything that we have to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.